I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Extra, give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. Ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Megan Kelly, welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. The political world shaken this weekend by a new poll showing former President Donald Trump leading President Biden in nearly every single battleground state. Trump plus 10 in Nevada, which Joe Biden won the last time, plus six in Georgia, in Georgia, which Joe Biden won the last time, plus five in Michigan and Arizona, both of which Biden won the last time, plus two over Biden in Pennsylvania, which Joe Biden won the last time. The tide is turning and it's turning massively. The Wall Street Journal calling this a five alarm fire for the Democratic Party. The poll leading top Democratic strategist David Axelrod to ask whether it is wise for the president to remain in this race, questioning whether he is doing this for his own ego over what is best for the country. That's David Axelrod, the man who got Obama elected twice. As close as you're going to get to an open call for Joe Biden to step aside. Despite the fact that we are nearly a decade into Donald Trump being part of the political world, some political pundits still think Mr. Trump is leading just because the voters, they they just don't understand. Watch. Look, this is a wake up call. This is frightening for not just the Biden White House. I mean, the idea of voting for somebody that's under investigation, even somebody who's been indicted is one thing. Voting, voting for a convicted felon is another thing entirely. This would be a very radical Trump presidency, much more so than even the first one. He's not going to break the law. He's not going to storm mm-hmm. the Capitol. And does that sound like we're lowering the bar? Maybe. I find it very, very, very hard to believe that voters will not vote for a president who didn't start an insurrection. 77 million people voted for that guy. And if he gets elected in 24, it will only be worse. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Extra, give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Extra, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Joining me now, someone who knows firsthand 
about running for the White House, including against Donald Trump, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. He is the author of a perfectly timed new book that we'll dive into in a bit called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America, something we're seeing on the streets of America and on college campuses daily these days. Senator Cruz, what a guest for today's topics. Thank you so much for being here. Megan, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. No, no place to start other than that New York Times Siena poll. My God. A um, couple of top line items for the viewers at home. As I mentioned, Wall Street Journal calls it a five alarm fire. Perilous. Voters have soured on Joe Biden. Shows huge weaknesses. Should be the cause for soul searching in the Oval Office and in the White House private residence. Quote, there is a compelling case that Mr. Biden can best help his party and the country by announcing he won't run again. This is, again, the, the journal. He now risks squandering his legacy by losing to Mr. Trump in a rematch. Mr. Biden surely does not want to go down in history as the Democrat who overstayed his welcome and restored Donald Trump to power. That's almost exactly the same message from David Axelrod. Uh, overall numbers here. There are enormous doubts about the president's age. He turns 81 later this month. He's the oldest president in American history. 71% of the electorate believes he is too old to be an effective president. An opinion shared across every demographic and geographic group, including 54% of his own supporters. Only 39% believe that about Trump, who's three years younger than Biden. Only 19% of Trump supporters think that's true. There is deep dissatisfaction over Biden's handling of the economy and a host of other issues. The economy is by far driving these numbers, but the other issues aren't helping him, like immigration and national security. A majority of the American public says Mr. Biden's policies have personally hurt them, personally hurt them, whereas Trump's helped them. Quote from The Times, the multiracial and multigenerational coalition that elected Joe Biden is fraying seriously. Democratic demographic groups that backed Joe Biden by landslide margins in 2020 now are far more closely contested. Two thirds of the electorate say the United States is going in the wrong direction. Wow. Your thoughts on it? Well, Megan, I think these poll numbers are a manifestation of of the reality of, of the Biden record, that the last three years under Joe Biden have been an absolute train wreck. You know, most elections are decided on the classic question, are you better off now than you've been for than you were four years ago? And and for virtually any voter in America, the, the answer is hell no. I mean, I mean, it's not a close question for, for, for most voters, unless you happen to be a Mexican drug cartel kingpin, in, in which case <laughs> you probably should vote for Joe Biden because your life has gotten much better under Biden. But if you're a young person, your life has gotten much worse, which is why in this poll it shows young people shifting dramatically towards Trump. Or if you're Hispanic or African-American, this poll shows 22 percent of black voters voting Republican, which would be a, a, a landmark uh, high water mark. This shows suburban women coming back to Republicans. And, and you look at the record across the board. I mean, I mean, imagine for a second, Megan, you, you woke up tomorrow and, and you'd been given the job of being Joe Biden's campaign manager. You can't run on the record. You can't want to run on the economy because the economy is a mess. We've got record high inflation. Everyone living, the, the cost of putting food on your table has gone way up. The cost of, of paying your bills has gone way, way up. Rent, mortgages, like if you want to buy a new home, forget about it. You've got an 8% mortgage instead of a 2% mortgage. And, and that doesn't even begin to cover the cost of things like, like, like filling the tank on your car or truck. Um, you put on top of that safety and security. Crime is out of control across this country. 
8 million people crossing the southern border. People are, are afraid. They're afraid for the safety of their family. And then on top of all of that, overlay the absolute disaster that is foreign policy. Biden came in and he inherited peace and prosperity. We right now have the largest land war in Europe since World War II. And Israel faced the most significant attack in 50 years. We have war in the Middle East and every region of the world has gotten worse. And so if it were straight up based on the merits, I I think the numbers would be an even bigger landslide than that because the Biden record is terrible. It's why the Biden and the Democrats, their strategy is simple. Attack Trump, attack Trump, attack Trump. Trump is the devil is their entire campaign message. And at least these poll numbers show that, that, that people are focused on their lives, their families, their kids. And, and Biden and the Democrats have screwed up uh, the, the policies concerning all of those. Biden is actually out there saying Bidenomics equals the American dream. It's the Amer- <laughs> and no one is buying it. Let me read what David Axelrod tweeted out or posted on X in greater detail. And then I want to give you some of the economic numbers because you tell me how one overcomes these. Axelrod, it's very late to change horses. A lot will happen in the next year that no one can predict. And Biden's team says his resolve to run is firm. He's defied conventional wisdom before, but this will send tremors of doubt through the party, not bedwetting, but legitimate concern. The greatest concern is that his biggest liability is the one thing he cannot change. Among all the unpredictables, there is one thing that is sure. The age arrow only points in one direction. Goes on to say the stakes of miscalculation here are too dramatic to ignore. Only Joe Biden can make this decision. If he continues to run, he will be the nominee. What he needs to decide is whether that is wise, whether it is in his best interest or the country's. Yes, there's risk associated with changing course now as there is little time left for a primary campaign. But a lot is a lot. There is a lot of leadership talent in the Democratic Party poised to emerge No leader can emerge from the Democratic Party, Senator, who's going to change this economy. The money was already spent recklessly and despite many warnings that we couldn't afford it. That's in large part what drove these inflation numbers. The opening up drilling from this point to next year is not going to materially change the the economic numbers either. The other thing that Joe Biden did, his over-reliance on renewables, which is a failing industry with the refusal to allow drill, the influx of, of immigration across the southern border. No Democrat is going to be able to somehow become the nominee and overcome all that. And I will say one more thing before I give you the floor, the economy by a margin of 59 to 37, 59 to 37 voters trust Trump over Biden on the economy, the largest gap of any issue. The gap, the, the preference for Trump spanned the electorate among men and women, both of them, among those with a college degree and those without every single age range and every single income level. Uh, Nearly two times as many voters said economic issues will determine their vote in 2024, as will social issues. And these economic voters favor Trump by, quote, a landslide. That's the Times's word, 60 percent to 32 percent. He's he's winning over Joe Biden by nearly 30 percentage points on those who say economic issues will determine their vote. And there are way more of those than there are any other kind of voters, Senator. This is just this is devastating. Well, it is. And let me make two observations on that. Number one, you can see Axelrod saying, well, Biden's biggest liability is his age. 
Well, that's actually not correct. Look, is Joe Biden too old? Absolutely. Is he too mentally diminished to do the job? Absolutely. But that's not why his numbers are as bad as they are. If, if Kamala Harris were the nominee, her numbers would be worse. His biggest liability is that his agenda has failed. But look, Axelrod can't say that because that criticism is true of Chuck Schumer and every other Democrat senator that voted party line in favor of the disastrous Biden agenda. So they've got to say it's about his being too old. But look, as you noted, the poll numbers, you have a majority of voters who say their life is worse off because of Biden. That's not his age. That's failed policies. And and the economic voters, you know, you remember James Carville famously said it's the economy, stupid. Well, Life has gotten much harder for virtually every American across the country other than tech billionaires and, 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 and those in, in positions of power. Lobbyists in Washington are doing great, but working men and women are hurting. Second observation, the fact that it's Axelrod saying this is a big deal. Listen, I, I'm asked all the time in Texas and all across the country, who's really running things in the White House? Obviously, it's not Biden. I agree with it that it's not Biden. I think at this point, the most likely candidate is Barack Obama, that I think Barack Obama is pulling the strings, has been making the decision, has been behind this huge lurch to the left. And Axelrod is basically Obama's right hand. And, and what I see this Axelrod tweet as is manifesting that Democrats are getting scared. And something, Megan, that I predicted three months ago on my podcast, as you know, I do a podcast three days a week, Verdict with Ted Cruz. I enjoy it. it, it it's, it's a lot of fun. And we... Uh, uh, the podcast format, as you know well, it's a great format because you can really talk about what's happening. Three months ago on the Verdict podcast, and by the way, you ought to subscribe to the Verdict podcast and subscribe to Megan. Listen to us both. Um, <laughs> but on the on the Verdict podcast, I predicted three months ago. I said the chances are rising dramatically that the Democrats at their convention next summer will dump Joe Biden and parachute in Michelle Obama as the nominee. And I think that would be incredibly dangerous. I don't want to see that happen, but I don't want people to be caught by surprise if and when they do that. And I think Axelrod's step today has just increased the chances of that significantly. Okay, that's very interesting because amazingly, according to the uh, this poll and it, the New York Times' own analysis of its poll, a generic Democrat and Kamala Harris, even Kamala Harris, both fare better than Joe Biden does overall, particularly with black and Hispanic voters. They they made the point, I think, on today's uh, New York Times podcast, The Daily, if Joe Biden simply won over the voters who currently support Kamala Harris over Donald Trump, but who do not support Joe Biden over Donald Trump, all of his problems with young black and Latino voters would go away. Quote, this is a Joe Biden problem. That's at least how the left is looking at it based on this poll. And Michelle Obama is certainly more popular than Kamala Harris. Yep. And certainly with those groups that I just was ticking off. So it, she could be a solution. But you and I both know she hates politics. I mean, the odds of Michelle Obama at this point in her career wanting to get in and save the country from Donald Trump, which, you know, so far she's shown no desire to do. Are, are pretty slim. Am I wrong? Look, I pray you're right. And, and I think that's the one thing that might save us from that scenario is maybe Michelle says, no, she won't do it. Um, I will note it is a different proposition. She obviously didn't run for president this time around. I don't think she has any desire to spend two years campaigning for president. It's a different proposition if you're looking at a convention in the summer that the Democrats are going to hand you the nomination. You've got just a couple of months of campaigning and then the general election and suddenly you wake up and you're president. 
I don't know that she'll say no to that. There are very few people, I think, that would say no to that. Um, maybe she will. I hope she does. And, and let me give you my reasoning why I think Michelle is the greatest threat. Uh, I think most Democrats recognize that Kamala Harris is a deeply flawed candidate, that she's her her numbers nationally. She's very unpopular. She she's managed to screw up just about every issue that's given to her, including like Biden uh, named her the border czar, which was not a favor to her. He was not doing it because he liked her. And and she's completely made a mess of our southern border. I think a lot of Democrats recognize, OK, Kamala would be a really problematic nominee. Now, here's the challenge if you're a Democrat. If you push Kamala aside for somebody else, and in particular, if you push Kamala aside for a white guy like like Gavin Newsom, I think the Democrats in their party would face a revolt from their party that would be utterly destructive. I don't think they are physically capable of doing that. And it's why Michelle Obama has such such a powerful appeal, because she's the one Democrat who could push Kamala Harris aside and not cause a civil war within the Democrat Party. And she also, as first lady, has a degree of Teflon where, where she's got very high positives. She largely stayed out of partisan fights as first lady. Now, listen, I think she's to the left of Obama and she's to the left of, of Biden, but she's got got much more of a shield of being seen with with, with the, the favorable views most first ladies are seen as. And so I think if I were a Democrat strategist, I'd be all over this this approach if she's willing to do it. And I think I guarantee you there there are hundreds of top Democrats having this conversation today as they're looking at these poll numbers. They're on their hands and knees begging her right now as as we speak. A um, couple more pieces from The Times. Two percent of voters in these critical swing states, two percent believe the economy is excellent. Voters under 30, a group that strongly supported Biden in 2020, said they trusted Trump more on the economy by an extraordinary 28 percentage points. My God, voters under 30, Senator, unbelievable. Less than 1% of poll respondents under 30 said the economy is excellent. Zero percentage in Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin believe that. Zero believe that. Here's a couple more. Voters under 30 favor Joe Biden by one percentage point. Oh, okay. Well, it's he's winning. He was winning by more than 20 points in 2020. He's lost 20 percent with the young women still favor Joe Biden, but barely that huge that con- suburban contingent you just referred to has evaporated. Yep. Men prefer Trump by two times as large a margin. So even if there is a tiny margin with the women, the men's preference for Trump is crushing it. It wipes it in- entirely out, but it's it's barely there to begin with with the women. Hispanic voters. Joe Biden's lead is down to single digits in 2020. He won with more than. 60 percent, 60 percent. Now it's leads down to single digits. Black voters. Uh, Joe Biden won 90 percent of the black vote in 2020. Now Trump is registering 22 percent support, 22 percent, quote, a level unseen in presidential politics for a Republican in modern times. So that means what, 78 percent for supporting Joe Biden down from 90. Uh, in fact, they go on to say the more diverse the swing state, the farther Mr. Biden was behind, he led only in the whitest of the six swing states, quote, a remarkable sign of a gradual racial realignment between the two parties. It's so interesting, Senator, because what has Joe Biden done or other than obsess over identity politics and race for the past three years? 
And the answer from Hispanic and black voters is we don't care. We want the economy to improve. We want you to do better at the border. We want you to actually lead and not focus on our skin color. Well, I think there are at least two things going on there. One for young people. Look, a lot of young people, most young people, have never seen inflation. Inflation hadn't existed for the last 20 years. They didn't know what it was like to see the cost of everything go up. That they, they, they assumed that, that, that inflation stayed at 1% and 2% forever. They assumed mortgage rates were normal at 2.5%. Uh, you suddenly have, let's say you've got a 25, 30-year-old, maybe they're buying their first house. The house you can buy is about half as big as the house you could have bought four years ago. That's the difference between a 2.6% mortgage and an 8% mortgage. And they're getting hit in the face with that. They're getting hit in the face. If, if you're out working and you're having a hard time uh, filling your gas tank, you're having a hard time paying bills, that, that is a reality that young people have never confronted before. Um, you know, when you talk about the African-American vote and the Hispanic vote, there is a, a major political realignment that's been happening for the past 10 years. And, and there are two demographic trends that are cross-cutting. One is blue-collar voters are moving to the right. That's moving Midwestern states much more Republican. The other is that suburban women have been moving to the left. That's been moving big suburban states in a more Democrat direction. What you're seeing with many of the African-American and Hispanic voters is they're getting killed economically. And, and for example, 8 million illegal immigrants in this country, a record high that Joe Biden has let in, in addition to all of the safety issues, all of the crime issues, which impact low-income neighborhoods more, those illegal immigrants are also competing for jobs with legal immigrants, with many people in the Hispanic community, many people in the African-American community who are finding their lives made significantly worse. And the Democrat Party no longer cares, I believe, about blue-collar workers. I think with Barack Obama, they made a conscious decision. There were two traditional favored children of the Democrat Party. There were union workers on one hand, and there were California environmentalist billionaires on the other. And Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and now Joe Biden made the decision to go with the California environmentalist billionaires. They wanted the money more and basically screw the union workers, that, that they trusted the union bosses would deliver their votes. And so to heck with their jobs. And I got to say, I think the single best thing about the Trump presidency, which I enthusiastically supported, is that the Republican Party is becoming more and more a blue collar party. And that's manifested with working people. That's manifested with Hispanics and African-Americans. And, and it is a generational shift in our political world. Mm -hmm. the, the numbers are Joe Biden's advantage in urban areas is only one half of Trump's advantage in rural areas. Yep. So those city blocks that Joe Biden so depends on for his electoral hopes, it is shrinking. The support for him there is shrinking. And Trump's advantage in the rural areas of America is only growing. He's amassing more and more, not to mention suburban areas, college educated and non-college educated voters across all income levels say Joe, policy, Joe Biden's policies have hurt them personally. As I said, Trump's have helped them, and it's by almost exactly reciprocal numbers. They gave Trump a 17-point advantage for having helped them. They gave Biden an 18-point disadvantage for having hurt them. This is truly disastrous. I mean, this that this is what makes David Axelrod tweet the way he did. Yeah. Other issues, immigration, Trump over Biden by 12 points. National security, Trump over Biden by 12 points. 
um, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And this poll was taken after it started. It was taken between October 22nd and November 3rd. Trump over Biden by 11 points. Abortion and democracy are the only two issues on which Joe Biden leads. Abortion by nine points. Democracy, you know, whatever that means, by three points. Even Senator Cruz on temperament, right? This has been Trump's biggest Mm -hmm. Achilles heel all along. 46% of voters say Joe Biden has the proper temperament, just 46, not even half the electorate believes it. That's barely higher than the 43% who say Trump has the proper temperament. They're almost tied on temperament. This is what the Dems are now saying. The, the, I saw it on Morning Joe. I saw it in the New York Times. I heard it on the Daily. It's, it's a long way off. It's a year away. And Joe Biden had terrible approval numbers when they went into the midterms in 2022. And the Dems still won bigger than had been expected. And by the time we get to November 2024, Trump will have had four, you know, three or four of the criminal trials will have been completed or will be underway. And at that point, he's going to be a convicted felon. Mark our words, he's going to be a convicted felon and the American people will not vote for a convicted felon, which, I mean, frankly, could be true. But here's some here's some data. Uh, The New York Times, Jonathan Swan and Maggie Hammerman have a piece saying if the former president is convicted and sentenced around six percent of voters across Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, those same swing swing states say they would switch their votes to Mr. Biden. So there it is. In black and white, the electoral strategy, back to Trump's claims of electoral interference, it's right there, black and white, their ace in the hole. Well, it is naked what the Democrats are doing, which is they're abusing the justice system to try to try to defeat their principal political opponent. And and I, I think these indictments are garbage. I think they're going to be overturned on appeal. But I agree with you. There's a very significant risk of jury convictions. And I think the appeal won't happen until after Election Day. And the Democrats are doing this. Number one, I think they recognize that the indictments help Trump in the primary. His numbers go up every time he's indicted. His numbers in the primary go up. But I think the Democrats believe that these indictments, when they become convictions, will hurt him in the general. I I don't know if that's true or not. This is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this. Now, this is the kind of weaponization of the justice system that we see in banana republics. I think a lot of people understand that they're trying to destroy their political opponents instead of beating them at the polls. And ironically, why are the Democrats doing this? Because they don't trust democracy. You know, you mentioned those democracy numbers, which has become a, a talking point for woke lefties about we defend democracy, except when it comes to the presidential election where they don't trust the voters and they want to try to put the other candidate in jail in order to stop the voters from not voting for, for, for their guy. I mean, it really is contempt for democracy that characterizes this Biden Justice Department. And I'll tell you, Megan, all of this is is discussed in my new book, which is coming out tomorrow. Uh, as you noted, the book is entitled Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. And it describes how the radical left has seized every major institution of our nation and is weaponizing it. And the book explains why it happened, how it happened. But critically, it also lays out common sense steps we can take to fight back and take our institutions back. I mean, it's the only glimmer of hope in the Israeli situation that people here are waking up yes. to the dangers yes. of this woke agenda being pushed at colleges and beyond. Let's face it, the DEI programs in corporate America and beyond, too, they're pernicious and they have real world effects that we're seeing with our own eyes, Senator. It's 
it's manifesting on the streets of America. We, I'll show you this. I mentioned in the intro, um, this is a montage of protests at the White House over the weekend, Saturday night, where they're yelling Allahu Akbar as they try to scale the White House fence. Watch this. I'm sorry, but there's something chilling about hearing that call, which the 9-11 terrorists yeah. were screaming as they flew those planes into the Trade Center right outside of our White House, seeing our White House within steps of these fanatics who invariably have come out of these college campus indoctrination programs. Well, look, that that is exactly right. And and this is a manifestation of of the radicalism that has seized our institutions. The, the reason I wrote the book on woke is many of us look at the country and we're wondering what the hell happened. We look at these images. We're like, how did we get to this point? And and, and in the book, I wanted to explain it. And, and it starts with chapter one is universities, which I call the Wuhan lab of the woke virus. It, it's where the virus was created. It's where it mutated. And it's where it spread. And, and, and what happened starting in the 1960s and 70s is that Marxist took over our college faculties, took over our college administrations. And, and Marxism, Karl Marx laid out a fundamental conflict that, that, that we are irredeemably in a conflict between oppressors and victims. And, and he based it on socioeconomic divides. So the oppressors were the owners of capital. And the victims were the workers, the proletariat. And Marx's solution, what Marxists call for, is the violent revolution by the proletariat to overthrow their oppressors and use government to forcibly redistribute to the victims. And, and what I then describe is how it began in universities and it spread to take over just about every other major institution in America. So it went from universities to the next chapter is K through 12 elementary and, and high school education. From there, it went to journalism, from there to big business, to big tech, to entertainment, to Hollywood, movies, TV, sports, music, to science. And, and if you look at what cultural Marxists do is they use the Marxist lens uh, and they apply it to cultural factors. So instead of looking at socioeconomic divides, they, they use race, and that's where you get critical race theory, that the answer is to tear down the oppressors and forcibly redistribute to the victims. Uh, when it comes to gender and gender ideology, again, they, they, they apply it to those issues and the radical transgender agenda. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting down with a, with a very successful uh, tech entrepreneur in Silicon Valley who, who leans quite left, and he was expressing befuddlement, bewilderment at the radical anti-Semitism and, and, and blatant hatred of Israel we're seeing in the Democrat Party and the squad, we're seeing on college campuses and universities. And he said he didn't understand 
where this came from. And, and my response is this is the direct result of the cultural Marxists, because for the for the cultural Marxists, they have coded Jews as oppressors and they have coded the Palestinians as victims. And so their solution is the violent revolutionary overthrow of the oppressors and government redistributing. And that's that's why you see now in the White House, they're chanting from the river to the sea, which is what Hamas chants. That means from the Jordan River to the ocean. That is a call for eliminating the state of Israel, for killing no, no, every no, one of the Jews. No, no, according to Rashida Tlaib, that's just an <laughs> aspirational call. It's just a little inspo. I think we have it. Do we not? Do we have Rashida Tlaib on here? Uh, in any event, she was out there saying it's just aspirational. That's all it is. If we have it, let's play it. We stand with Israel. This is the video she posted with it. Stand by. Mr. President, the American people are not with you on this one. Innocent civilians are going to be hurt going forward. I wish I could tell you something different. I wish that that wasn't going to happen, uh, but it is it is going to happen. I want to thank President Biden for his unequivocal support. We will remember in 2024. And then it reads Joe Biden supported the genocide of the of the Palestinian people. The American people won't forget. This is her. Biden supported ceasefire now. This is her video. Or don't count us in 2024. And then she tweeted, Senator, from the river to the sea is an aspirational call for freedom, human rights, and peaceful coexistence, not death, destruction, or hate. It's strange because I heard it being used by Hamas as they were murdering children. Yeah. So it didn't really seem like a peaceful call to me, but you know, she might know better than I. Well, look, Megan, you're exactly right. And you've also seen the video right after the October 7th massacre where Rashida Tlaib was walking down the hallway in, in, in the Capitol and a reporter asked, um, what are your views on Hamas targeting innocent civilians, raping and murdering women and little girls, murdering infants, burning them alive? And she refused to answer and, and, and understand for the cultural Marxist, and Rashida Tlaib is the embodiment of cultural Marxism, violent revolution is what they support. She refused to condemn. It ought to be real simple to say, do not target civilians. This is grotesque. This is evil. This is wrong. But she won't do that. And, and for the left, the, the, the people on college campuses, look at, at, at Harvard, my alma mater, 35 student groups signed a statement saying all of the violence is 100 percent Israel's fault. They have been brainwashed. They have been indoctrinated. And, and, and so the book, Unwoke, is designed, number one, to explain what happened and how it happened, but number two, to lay out concrete steps to fight back, to take our institutions back. So for example, there's a chapter on big business. And a decade ago, it would have been unimaginable that, that the Fortune 100 was operating as as the economic enforcement arm for the radical left. That's what we have been seeing now as big business cancels people, fires people, censors people, ha has has gone fully woke. And yet in the chapter on big business, I, I, I got, do a deep dive into what happened with Bud Light and what happened with Target. And you look at Bud Light. I don't think there's been a brand in modern times that has lit itself on fire as much as Bud Light, where you had these woke left wing marketing executives 
who looked down on their customers. They thought their customers were ignorant rubes and, and, and they ridiculed and, and, and insulted them. And Bud Light was the number one selling beer in America. It dropped out of the top 10. They lost nearly $30 billion in market value. And what's interesting, right after Bud Light happened, Target occurred. And you look at Target, which lots of people go to buy inexpensive quality goods. And Target decided that wasn't their mission. Their mission was to become the the front line of, of the transgender culture wars. And so they had huge displays in the front of the store pushing LGBT items on on young people on kids tuck it bathing suits tuck it bathing suits women's bathing suits where you could tuck a penis into them which is unnecessary for any woman and 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 by the way those bathing suits were marketed to two and three-year-olds it's literally a three-year-old boy to tuck your genitals in they deny it but it's true we we just documented it on friday with the the swim skirt that is being pushed on boys who want to dress like girls at the pool And, and what happened so powerfully is is millions of moms came in and saw this and got pissed off. And, and Target, likewise, lost tens of billions of dollars. Now, here's what's really encouraging. If you look at the conversations of the Target executives, what they were saying right at the outset of this scandal is, oh, dear God, we don't want to become like Bud Light. That is a powerful indication. Look, the problem, why did corporate America go woke? Because the cost and benefit was, was, was imbalanced. That A rational CEO, it was easier to give in to the woke mob than to try to resist them. And so they did that over and over again. And I think what we are seeing is changing the cost and benefits. I don't want corporations getting involved in politics on my side. I want them to stay the hell out and and sell their widgets like like go. You know, when you go to Target, you want to get cheap, decent goods for your house. You want to buy a big box of detergent. You don't want their politics jammed down on your children. And I do think the more we can change the cost-benefit analysis, the more we can take the, the, these institutions back. Mm-hmm. I swear it's so offensive to have to see that sort of a male attempt at co-opting womanhood yeah. in your face as you walk into Target to get art supplies. There's, It's no wonder that there was backlash to that group. And the CEO was on CNBC on Friday trying to downplay it wrong. He lied even there trying to, but it's to your point, maybe it's good. He feels the need to lie because yep. he realized he stepped in it. Um, Senator Cruz stays with us by his book Unwoke. Very few have the power with the word things the way Ted Cruz does. I think you'll really enjoy it because he knows how to tell a story, talks about his dad in Cuba and some mistakes he made when he came here to the United States about believing in Fidel Castro only to learn the hard way that he wasn't as great as he thought. Um, some very really revealing anecdotes in there. And Senator Cruz stays with us after this break. So don't go away. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds, and stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. 
Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Well, technically, he's U.S. Senator from Texas. Ted Cruz, his new book is out tomorrow. It's called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. You've heard that term bandied about. This book defines it, contextualizes it, explains it, and shows you how it's infested the United States in a way only Ted Cruz could do. I mean, not only is he an expert on this, but he used to be the Solicitor General. He's argued all sorts of cases before the Supreme Court. He's become a U.S. Senator. He's got a top podcast. He's a busy man, but he wants you to understand this message because it's an important one. Um, One of the problems in creating the spread of this problem, uh, this pernicious virus that created in the college campuses, as you say, like like the virus in Wuhan, is the media and its assistance on these messages. And there's no better example of that today than ABC News and its chief White House correspondent, you're not going to believe this, called to my attention on Twitter by Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. And this is how Molly put it when she retweeted this picture. Uh, Molly says, if you're trained to notice subtleties, you can detect an ever so slight difference in how corporate media talk about left wing protests versus right wing ones. And this from Mary Bruce, again, chief White House correspondent for ABC, reads the White House gates this morning after passionate protests over the weekend, showing the gates leading under the White House grounds covered in what we know is fake blood and the handprints of those rowdy, obnoxious pro-Palestinian protesters who were trying to scale the White House fence with their Palestinian flags. They're very passionate, Senator, very passionate. I'm going to guess they're not going to have the FBI showing up at their houses or wind up on a no-fly list like some of the passionate insurrectionists, according to ABC, uh, who participated on January 6th? Well, you know, there is one of the most important chapters in, in the book on woke is the chapter on journalism, because I think journalism has been fundamentally destroyed. I think Donald Trump broke the media and and, you know, you know, go back a, a, a decade ago. So a decade ago, you take take a, a, a network like CNN. I used to go on CNN all the time. I'd go on CNN about once a week. And, and CNN a decade ago, they wanted to be journalists. If you ask them, they yeah. aspired to be journalists. And, and they viewed it as part of their job to present both sides, to be even handed, to cover the news. Now, they were terrible at it. They leaned hard left. <laughs> but but th- they, that was an objective that, that they were legitimately aspiring to. So I would go on literally once a week on CNN. Um, when Trump became president, it shattered the brain of the corporate media. CNN is a garbage network. They are not, they don't aspire to cover both sides. They have a panel of five people. Let's all discuss how Donald Trump is the devil. And that's the only view. They view their role now as propagandists, that they are they're not just advocates and they're not just Democrats. They are the left wing of the Democrat Party. So on, on my podcast, Verdict, we, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago that was entitled CNN is Hamas's Air Force. So is MSNBC. So is ABC. And we played about a dozen different clips of their coverage. And, and, and 
this is not just incidental. This is actually an integral part of Hamas's strategy. Hamas knows they're not strong enough to defeat Israel. So, for example, and, and Rashida Tlaib played the White House saying there will be civilian casualties. Tragically, we know that. Why? Because Hamas wants there to be civilian casualties. They use human shields of Palestinians. They put their, their headquarters in the basement of a Palestinian hospital. They put rockets and missiles in kindergartens in Gaza because they know Israel only targets military targets. They go to extraordinary lengths to avoid civilian casualties, more than any military on the face of the planet. But Hamas wants dead Palestinian women, dead Palestinian babies, because they know the corporate media will use those images, amplify them, and use them to demonize Israel. And and that's an integral part of of their strategy. Um, It is also why, if if you look at the Democrats and you say, why did they go so extreme? Why did they embrace things like abolishing the police or open borders or, or, you know, genital mutilation surgeries for eight-year-olds. I mean, those are really loopy out there positions. They're 90-10 issues where they're on the wrong side. The reason why Democrats embrace them now is because journalism is so broken that they know they'll never be asked about them. They'll never be held to account. And, and so the politicization and radicalization of the news media has made Democrats captive to the radical left, where Democrats in Congress are much more worried about being primaried from the left than they are about losing in the general election, because the media no longer actually even tries to be journalists. And I think that's terrible. Listen, I have defended many times people who criticize me all the time. You, You have a right to criticize me. That's free speech. I believe in democracy. I believe in free speech. The left does not anymore. And, and the consequences, the chapter on journalism, I think, is is really significant because it is causing much of the radicalism in so many other institutions. Mm. I mean, I was glad to see finally in The New York Times a piece on November 3rd calling attention to the fact that one of the reasons they can't get people out of Gaza, you know, the the humanitarian exit of, let's say, dual U.S. citizens slash Israeli passport holders who yep. have found themselves over there is because Hamas keeps trying to put its wounded soldiers on the innocent, injured Palestinian lists. And Israel and international authorities are checking these lists before they let people leave. And they keep trying to put their terrorists on the list. And thankfully, Israel is checking it, saying, no, we have enough intel to know who that guy is and who that guy is. But you don't hear Angelina Jolie tweeting about that. Right. She's only talking about how it's it's you know, we're we're bombing innocent civilians without any care for life. There needs to be a ceasefire, collective punishment. Why don't you put the blame where it belongs? Because she's wrapped up. She's a U.N. person in all this same stuff. Look, the U.N. hates Israel. They are anti-Semitic. The Hollywood left hates Israel. They're anti-Semitic. My whole chapter in Hollywood talks about the same thing, how they are viciously pushing an agenda, pushing an agenda that, that, that is Marxism. And some people may think, gosh, Marxism, that, that, that seems extreme. It, it is, listen, when it comes to, for me, Marxism is not something abstract. It, it is real and personal. You know, you talked about how I opened the book. I opened the book telling my family story, that my father fought in the Cuban Revolution. He fought in Cuba. When he was 14 and 15 years old, he was fighting alongside Castro. 
and he was imprisoned. He was tortured in Cuba, and he fled Cuba. He came to America, and and my dad has said he said the revolution in Cuba. It, it consisted almost entirely of 14 and 15 year old boys who didn't know any better. And Marxists always start with the children. This is true in Cuba and Venezuela, in Russia and China. Everywhere you have Marxists in power, they start with the children because children and teenagers, they're naive, they're idealistic, they're easily deceived. They have no life experience. And, and, and a story that I tell right at the outset of the book also is a story my grandmother, my abuela, told me. She was a sixth grade teacher. And she said when Castro took over, very early on, they sent the soldiers into the elementary schools. And the soldiers would go into kindergartens and first grades. And they'd tell all the students, they'd say, close your eyes and pray to God and pray for candy. And the kids all did so. And they opened their eyes and there was no candy. Then the soldiers would say, close your eyes and pray to Fidel Castro for candy. And while the kids' eyes were closed, the soldiers quietly slipped a piece of candy on each one of their desks. That is Marxism. That is inherent in Marxism. They want to destroy your allegiance to everything except the state. They want to destroy your allegiance to God. It's why they hate religion so powerfully. They want to destroy your religion, to, your allegiance to family, to your parents, to your kids. It's why they encourage kids to rat out their parents. And if you see the, the cultural Marxists today, they are coming after the family unit. And, and take something like Black Lives Matter. Let's, let's connect it again to what's happening right here today. Black Lives Matter, the institutions. Look, the, the phrase Black Lives Matter is unequivocally true. It is a truism. Absolutely yes, period, full stop. The organization Black Lives Matter, Inc., which is actually a, an incorporated organization, was founded by avowed Marxists, by trained Marxist organizers. And they're vicious racists, but they're also yeah. viciously anti-Semitic. One of the co-founders yeah. of Black Lives Matter has called, going back for more than a decade, has called for the, the destruction of the state of Israel. Now, here's an interesting connection. When, when we had the Black Lives Matter riots across the country, we saw a bunch of big corporations give millions and millions of dollars to these Marxists. And so on my podcast, Verdict, I went through and I listed the corporations, corporations like Apple and Amazon and Coca-Cola. And I said, do you support this anti-Semitic Marxist organization that calls for the destruction of Israel? Now, listen to this, Megan. It's interesting. That podcast episode I released on October 18th. The next day, Coca-Cola deleted all of the references on its website to the $500,000 that it had given to Black Lives Matter because they wanted to escape accountability. Now, that shows the interconnection of all this, but it also shows how we change it and take it back, that when you hold them accountable and shine a light on them, that's how you make it. You increase the costs of going woke. See... What you failed to understand with the, were, was those two were merely passionate protests. That's what those were. They were passionate. They weren't violent. No one got hurt. Not like the awful J6 riot insurrection. OK, totally different. Senator Ted Cruz stays with us. Uh, we're going to get to a personal story. I've got one that matches his when it comes to the attempts to indoctrinate the children first. It sounds like both of our daughters have gone through something very similar. That's next. More with Senator Ted Cruz in one minute, author of the great new book, Unwoke. Uh, check it out now. Support Senator Ted Cruz. And he's got solutions in there to undo this madness 
solutions that are very timely. Don't go away. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has a over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKSeedKits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. ArcSeedKits.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. As we watch the increase uh, in severity of this Mideast conflict, we're watching an increase in the terror warnings to those of us here at home. And a lot of folks missed Christopher Wray, the FBI director's testimony before Congress last week, but Senator Ted Cruz was not one of them. Um, he had some dire warnings. I, I don't think I'm overstating the case when he was talking about the increase in terrorism threats right here to the homeland. Here's a bit of what he said. The reality is that the terrorism threat has been elevated throughout 2023, but the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole nother level. We assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years ago. In just the past few weeks, multiple foreign terrorist organizations have called for attacks against Americans and the West. We also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. So the threat of terrorism here in the United States is at a whole nother level, is how he put it, as a result of this conflict. Maybe that will sink into the head of these people who are out there trying to tear down the posters of the Israeli hostages saying it's all propaganda. It didn't happen. We're pro-Hamas, LGBTQ crowd for Hamas. They have no clue what they're stirring up. But I know this caught your eye too, Christopher Ray's warning, which was in rather stark terms for him. Well, it was. And 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 listen, let me just say at the outset here that that I think we are at a greater risk today of a major terrorist attack in the United States than we've been at any point since September eleventh. Um and 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 tragically, I th- I think we're living on borrowed time. Uh, and it's a combination of two things. Number one, the the war in the Middle East. And to be clear, Joe Biden 
has funded this war. He sent over $100 billion to Iran. And Iran is the leading state sponsor of terrorism. Iran is funding Hamas. Iran funds Hezbollah. And, and Obama before him sent $100 billion to Iran. They are providing the capital that is funding the death squads, that is funding the, the rockets. But when you combine that with the utter chaos of our southern border, more than 8 million illegal immigrants. I was down at the southern border two weeks ago. I went out on midnight patrol with the Border Patrol agents, which I do frequently. Every one of those agents is concerned about terrorists coming across the southern border. And, and we've seen in the last year, the number of individuals on the terror watch list apprehended at the border is more than the previous six years combined. And it's an order of magnitude. It's much, much, much more. But that's actually not the number that concerns me. The number that concerns me is two million. Two million is the number of gotaways. Those are the people that the Border Patrol knows about but they didn't apprehend. And the reason is the people who turn themselves into the Border Patrol agents, uh, those are the main apprehensions Biden has. The gotaways tend to be criminals. They're murderers. They're rapists. They're child molesters. They tend to be gang members affiliated with MS-13 or other gangs or terrorists. And I'll tell you, the Customs and Border Patrol in San Diego informed its agents in writing to be on guard for terrorists from Hamas, from Hezbollah, and from Palestinian Islamic Jihad crossing our southern border and pretending they're not from those terrorist organizations. And, and I think Joe Biden has essentially issued an invitation for these terrorists to come to America. And, and, and I think every American, our, our lives and safety are seriously compromised. I pray we do not see the kind of violence Israel has experienced that horrific terrorist violence. I pray we do not see it in America, but every day Biden leaves the southern border open is a day the chances increase more and more. Hmm. It's not just us. Uh, France and Belgium have both raised their terror alert levels. Europe's looking at this problem, maybe even more so than the United States, given the number of um, Muslims yeah. that have immigrated to those countries over the past 10 plus years as they've had an open border situation in places like Germany, too. Uh, it's it's something a lot of countries are going to need to take a look at. And we've hit, we've seen attacks in France uh, of a woman in her home. There's been uh, a rising list of Jews who've gotten attached, attached, innocent yes. people sitting in their homes. It's dark. Uh, you mentioned Obama. Unbelievably, he chose not just to weigh in via tweet and then statement the other day, but he went on Pod Save America, which is his old buddies who helped work on his um, in his White House, their podcast and actually tried to blame what's happening in the Middle East, not not on himself, that would be totally appropriate, but on all of us. We're all complicit. Listen to this, Senator. If there's any chance of us being able to act constructively to do something, it will require an admission of complexity and maintaining what on the surface may seem contradictory ideas, that, that what Hamas did was horrific and there's no justification for it. And what is also true is that the, the occupation and what's happening to Palestinians is, is unbearable. That all of us are complicit to some degree 
I look at this and I think back, what could I have done during my presidency yeah. to move this forward as hard as I tried? I've got the scars to prove it. But there's a part of me that's still saying, well, was there something else I could have done? Gee, Senator, could you help him out? What utter and complete bullshit. Was there something else you could have done? Here's an idea. Don't give $100 billion to the monsters who are committing these massacres. Barack Obama led the effort to flood cash into Iran. The Ayatollah in Iran leads mobs chanting death to America and death to Israel. They want to commit mass murder. They want to eliminate the state of Israel. They want to murder every Jew. Hamas, more than 90% of the funding of Hamas comes from Iran. Hezbollah, more than 90% of the funding from Hezbollah comes from Iran. Barack Obama funded them. And then you listen, he, he says, well, what Hamas did was, was, was indefensible and there's no justification for it. But let me give a justification for it. Mm-hmm. And, and he then says, he actually uses the same line that the radicals at Harvard did. And of course, Barack Obama is a graduate of the Harvard Law School, just a few years ahead of me. And his justification, he says, the occupation is unbearable. What occupation? This is a lie, and it's a lie the radical left pushes. Gaza is not occupied. Israel left Gaza. Israel gave Gaza to the Palestinians, said it's all yours. Israel doesn't govern Gaza. Israel doesn't control Gaza. Gaza is run by Hamas. Hamas is in charge of Gaza. There is zero occupation in Gaza of anyone other than the Palestinians. And why is Hamas, why is Gaza such a miserable place with so much poverty? Because all they care about is their vicious racist hatred of Jews. And so internationally, billions of dollars have flooded into Gaza. And what happens? Hamas takes that money, the money that could go to building schools, to building hospitals, and they use it to build weapons of war to attack and kill Jews. They get money for water pipes to have clean water for Palestinian children. What do they do instead? They cut the water pipes into rockets and they fill them with explosives to murder Jews. And go back a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember the story that the corporate media broadcast all over the world? which is that Israel bombs a Palestinian hospital, murders 500 Palestinians. We now know that was an utter and complete lie. It was a lie that was spread by Hamas. And, and, and there are a couple of things going on. Number one, Israel uses precision, precision guided munitions. They hit what they aim at. They do not target hospitals. They target military targets. Hamas and the terrorists they don't have guidance on their rockets. Their rockets are basically a metal tube with some propellant, an explosive, and a bunch of shrapnel, nails and ball bearings. And they fire them in the general direction of Israel and hope they explode and kill some Jews. And about 20% of the rockets that Hamas fires never make it out of Gaza. They end up exploding in Gaza and hurting Palestinians. In this instance, it was a rocket fired by Palestinian Islamic Jihad that had no guidance system, so it ended up crashing in Gaza. It didn't actually hit the hospital. Turns out the hospital wasn't hit. It exploded in the parking lot outside the hospital. So it was a lie that Israel bombed it. It was a lie that the hospital was hit. And it was a lie that 500 Palestinians were killed. And yet the New York Times, CNN, the AP, Reuters, they all went with Hamas's lie. By the way, Rashida Tlaib 
continued repeating the lie after it had been disproven because the propaganda was part of the attack. And Barack Obama repeats those lies. Let me say it again. The Gaza Strip is not occupied. When he says the occupation is unbearable, he is repeating an anti-Semitic lie because the radical left hates Israel. Barack Obama loathes Benjamin Netanyahu. He spent eight years undermining the government of Israel, and now Joe Biden has spent the last three years undermining the government of Israel because in, in their cultural Marxist worldview, the Israelis, the Jews are the oppressors, and they want to topple the oppressors, and they stand with the victims even as they're murdering women and children. It is amazing to he- look at his struggle session. Gee, is there anything I could have done differently? Anything. You funded Iran. You tried to normalize Iran. They're the ones funding this entire yes. thing, yes. that entire attack against the Israelis. No responsibility whatsoever. Gee, I'll have to kick it around. Maybe if Michelle runs for president, this will come up. Um, I want to round back to the book and the cultural Marxism, because I know you raised you raised a story about your daughter and Columbus Day, which we just celebrated. And I was surprised to see that you down in Texas had a similar issue to what we up here in Connecticut experienced, too, which is this questioning about whether this holiday is really appropriate. Um, At my daughter's school, she was asked by her history teacher, uh, the entire class was, to take a position on whether Columbus Day should still be recognized or whether we should change it to Indigenous People's Day. And I'm happy to tell you that my daughter defended Columbus Day. Good for her. I'm unhappy to tell you she was literally the only girl in the entire class that did it. The only one. And the teacher was very much on the other side. You would think if there were only one person in the class who was taking a position, you might like get excited. This is a chance to foster debate. Let's go have at it and throw our bone. It's not how it went down. Mm-hmm. So what happened in your child's class? Well, and I describe this in my chapter on K through 12 education, how my my daughter, when she was in elementary school, came back right after Columbus Day and, and she was talking about Columbus and, and, and she and her friend were both saying, oh, we hate Christopher Columbus. He's he's evil and a racist and committed genocide. He's terrible. And, and look, I'm not deeply invested in defending Christopher Columbus as, as, as a hero <laughs> or anything, but but I did want to have a conversation with her. And I said, well, you know, we we do have a federal holiday that's actually in the statute books named Columbus Day. Do we typically have federal holidays celebrating people that are evil, genocidal maniacs? I mean, I mean, it, might there be anything good uh, about Columbus? And she's like, no, 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 there, there, there can't be. And I said, well, look, the argument about genocide is, is, that, is that he came over in the 15th century and that he and the other people uh, on the ships with them carried with them germs that ended up spreading to Native American people and killing them. And I understand that argument. Is it relevant in the 15th century? Nobody knew what a germ was, so he didn't know he was carrying those germs and nobody else did. I mean, I mean, you're accusing him of genocide that that suggests culpability, wanting to kill people. Is that relevant at all? Now, I also describe moving forward a little bit later in the year at Thanksgiving, uh, my daughter and her friends were talking and they said, oh, Thanksgiving is all about the pilgrims oppressing the, the, the Native Americans and, 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 and celebrating the, the stolen land. And, and I was like, well, look, 
the, the settlers came to America and there was conquest. And, and if you look at the history of mankind, just about every nation has been one series of conquest over the others. And by the way, the Native Americans, one tribe conquered another and one tribe conquered another. And inevitably, when you have war and you have conquest, um, there are stories and tragedies. And so were there tragedies, were, were there atrocities carried out against Native Americans? Of course. But there were atrocities on both sides of that. You know, I asked, I said, from where do you think the verb to scalp came from? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Y- you know, it's not like these were just noble savages who were oppressed. They, they were murdering on both sides and it was war and conquest. And, and a point that I made to my daughter, I said, look, this discussion and the Columbus Day discussion are interconnected. And it comes down to really one fundamental question. Do you view the Western settlement of America as a good thing or a bad thing? And today's left, the cultural Marxists view the formation of America, view the Constitution, view the Bill of Rights as fundamentally evil and illegitimate. Now, I think America has been the greatest force for good the world has ever seen, has, has produced more freedom, more prosperity, more opportunity, has liberated more captives, has lifted more people out of poverty than any nation in the history of the world. Do we have our flaws? Sure. Ha- have we done things wrong? Of course. But I agree with Dr. Martin Luther King that the arc of justice is long and that it arcs towards justice. That is a fundamentally different view. And what I talk about in the book on Woke is engage with your kids, have those conversations with them. And that doesn't mean you have to reflexively argue the other side, but but at least try to teach them to question and have some balance and have a little bit of historical understanding rather than just being drowned by the indoctrination that so many of the kids are getting. Yeah. And you know who shares virtually all of those same values with us? Israel. Yes. And you know who doesn't? Hamas. Exactly right. <laughs> and and uh, frankly, most of the Palestinians, they don't share those values who are out there getting the support of those protesters at the White House. Uh, how do you think LGBTQ rights are going to go with most of that crowd? Not particularly well. How about women? How do they fare? Not particularly well. How about rule of law? How about freedom of speech? How about freedom of religion? OK, good luck. Go check it out. Get back to me. Yeah. Senator Cruz, it's always a pleasure. The book is Unwoke. I think you'll really enjoy it. You'll get to know the senator and get to know his family better. You get to understand this issue, which we hear discussed so much um, in our in our society now, discussed in great detail. And, and you learn. How and to and Megan, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it is the book will be on sale in bookstores starting tomorrow. But it is right now today on Amazon. It is number one, number two, and number three simultaneously on the bestseller list for politics. So I would encourage you, go to Amazon right now. You can buy it today on Amazon. And and it's designed to give you the tools to to fight back. And it's also, as you noted, it's interesting. It's fun. It tells stories. It's not a dry academic book. It's designed to help you understand and equip you to fight back. But here's the number one reason we should we should buy it and make it go to number one, because it's really going to irritate The New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Let's get him up there to number one. They're going to have to suck it. <laughs> Great to see you, Senator. Thanks, Megan. I'm Megan Kelly, host of The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM. It's your home for open, honest and provocative conversations with the most interesting and important political, legal and cultural figures today. You can catch The Megyn Kelly Show on Triumph, a SiriusXM channel featuring lots of hosts you may know and probably love. Great people like Dr. Laura Glenn Beck, 
Nancy Grace, Dave Ramsey, and yours truly, Megan Kelly. You can stream The Megan Kelly Show on SiriusXM at home or anywhere you are. No car required. I do it all the time. I love the SiriusXM app. It has ad-free music coverage of every major sport, comedy, talk, podcast, and more. Subscribe now. Get your first three months for free. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. That's SiriusXM.com slash MKShow and get three months free. Offer details apply. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has a over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Oh, we have a sad update for you today. Way back in episode 483 in January of this year, we brought you an entire show on a topic I admittedly knew next to nothing about. The use of psychedelic drugs and psilocybin research to help treat depression, addiction, and other medical conditions. Our guest for the full show that day was Dr. Roland Griffiths, who was the expert on the topic as the director of the Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. We talked about the history of his research, the various uses, even how cancer patients had used psychedelics as therapeutics, research he pioneered. At the end of the interview, we got to the sad reveal of Roland's very personal connection to this topic. He told us that he himself had terminal colon cancer. Here's a bit of our conversation on appreciating life and practicing gratitude. Watch. I went in for a routine screening colonoscopy, believing myself to be completely healthy. I take care of myself. I watch my diet. I exercise uh, and came out with in short order, a stage four cancer diagnosis that's been uh, resistant to treatment. But Megan, the astonishing thing about this 
is that it's rather than being depressed and anxious for me, it's I consider the whole thing to be a blessing. And it's been this just remarkable experience of joy and gratitude. I thought I was pretty awake to the joy and miracle of of life before this, but it's much more so now. And so I'm moved to talk about it just because uh, I think in principle, we can all wake up much more than we are. And I want to encourage people to do that absent a terminal diagnosis. Mm. Roland, thank you for sharing that. My God, I'm, I'm definitely, I feel more emotional about it than, than you do. Mm. We knew Roland did not have long when you brought, we brought you his story back in January. On October 16th, he passed away at his home in Baltimore at the age of 77. I'm getting emotional again. There's something about this man that was so touching. He devoted himself to this line of research, which was always considered controversial and almost taboo until Roland. And he did it at the Johns Hopkins School of all places. And he created a place for this research, which has now helped so many. According to the New York Times, Roland was working on a paper about a study he conducted in which clergy from various faiths took psilocybin to see how it would affect their life and work. Roland took psychedelics himself shortly after his diagnosis to investigate his own condition. What did he learn? You will die, he said, but everything is absolutely perfect. He said this to the New York Times at the time. There's meaning and purpose to this that goes beyond your understanding, but how you're managing that is exactly how you should manage it. Roland, now gone from this physical world, but his important work and legacy live on. You can find more information and donate if you'd like to at Griffiths, that's with a T-H at the end, griffithsfund.org. Joining me now is someone who knows a thing or two about what psychedelics can do to improve and even save your life. We're going to get to that. Jordan Belfort. Jordan is a former stockbroker, entrepreneur, speaker, author, and most famously, the Wolf of Wall Street. Jordan was last on the show in 2021 in episode 182. We're so happy to have him back. He has a new book out called The Wolf of Investing, My Insider's Playbook for Making a Fortune on Wall Street, which he did very well. Jordan, great to have you back. Oh, I'm so sad that we lost this great man, but I know... I just thought it would be a good way to get into you because you you you've been very open about, you know, you had to go to jail, you you served time. We talked all about it in your last time in the show, but you also were an addict and right. found yourselves yourself using suboxone, which so many addicts use to get off of opioids. It's like a light opioid, but it's it's not as catastrophic for your life as these others and it's helped a lot of people in their addiction but you couldn't get off of Suboxone. And then you discovered the world of psychedelics. And this is, Roland would be sure to tell everybody, you should do this at a clinic under the care of a physician. This isn't something like you go pick a mushroom in your backyard and give it a try. Right. But I know you've said they really helped you. Yeah, well, I mean, I I went to Mexico. It's not legal here still. Hopefully it's on the cusp of there, starting to certain states you can use it. But I went to Mexico, to Cancun, and I... I took a a medicine called Ibogaine, which is like the granddaddy of uh, hallucinogens. And it's, it's a tough experience. It's long, it's about 12 hours, but it completely broke 
any dependency I had on opioids. And, 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 um, just shocks me that it's not available in the U.S. I mean, this massive problem, you had this massive, you know, disaster that was, you know, precipitated by the pharmaceutical industry, and their their cure is Suboxone, which is, as you said, it's another opioid. It's basically a life sentence. And yes, you could live with it. I lived with it for many years, and you know, I function well. But still, you're on opioids, and there's a lot of side effects. Um, and yet, there's a cure. There's actually a cure out there, and if it's administered carefully by doctors, it's very safe and you know, it's, it boggles my mind. It's another example of just, you know, what, what's wrong with this country with the lobbies and and certain, you know, industries that just simply have laws passed to feed their own profits every single year. And this is a perfect example. I also take mushrooms, by the way. I low dose, I do a micro dosing of mushrooms as well. Um, and it's been great for me too. So I, I think psychedelics are really the next forefront for mental health. And it's really sad this guy passed away, but he left behind an incredible legacy for sure. Yes. Honestly, the reason that they're getting any sort of mainstream play is because of Roland. He is the guy. And he was such a sweet, mild-mannered, intellectual guy. Like, he had really made his bones in studying addiction, and people understood he was legit. He wasn't just, he wasn't, you know, just looking for a high off of a bunch of patients he was going to have in for a study. He saw. And every person I know who's tried this, I have not tried this, but every person I know who's tried this to treat depression, including in Roland's case, he was treating cancer patients dealing with depression, describes the use of this in a clinical clinical setting as a before and after moment uh, in dealing with their depression, whether it's caused by a terminal illness or anything else. I mean, I we're so I I'm I'm as anti-drug as they come. I mean, I've never done a drug. I've told you this the last time. I was a Miss Goody Two Shoes, Jordan. Right. But right. I would try this in a clinical setting if I were dealing with serious depression. It's just it seems like a game changer. Listen, there's, there's also ketamine that's being used now, which is a hallucinogen and uh, very effective for depression, very effective. And, I, and the weird thing to me is that like, they've known this for a really long time. The, the doctors, the pharmaceutical industry, but the reason they suppress it is because they can't patent it. And since they can't patent it, they can't make money with it. And so they you know, have this PR campaign that it's dangerous, it's terrible. You take one one dose of hallucinogen, you'll jump off a building. That's what I grew up with. I grew up in that in that era where hallucinogens were like, you'll lose your mind and you'll never come back. So I had a negative anger against it. Yeah, exactly. And it's anything but that. So I think, thankfully, the trend is going in the right direction now. But I, I, I assure you, the pharmaceutical industry will not go down without a fight. So we'll see what happens. So once you tried it and you did the 12 hour thing, did, was that it for you and Suboxone? You didn't need it anymore? Never again. No, never wow. again. Now, when I got off of it, the physical withdrawals were gone, um, but it took me about 45 to six days to really feel like my good again. You know, I was sleeping again and didn't have any anxiety. Um, but I've, I've also, I'm, I've been very frank. I've lived with anxiety my whole life. I mean, anxiety has been a, a demon sitting on my shoulder since I'm six years old. You should I've have had, had anxiety. What you were doing on Wall Street, that would cause <laughs> well, any that's real, human that's, anxiety. That's real fear. That's that's real fear. It's like, is it, are you paranoid? If they're really chasing you, it's, it's not paranoid. It's real fear, right? But I mean, even before that, and I, for example, like in the last, uh, when I first, after I got off all the Suboxone, I was having anxiety for no reason. Like my life is beautiful, great business, great wife, great family. I'm still having anxiety and it's very de- debilitating. And, and, you know, and Xanax, I assure you, is not the solution, by the way. That's just like a mm-hmm. trap that you fall into and incredibly addictive. So, you know, I roughed it out. Thankfully, now I'm not on anything except lots and lots of supplements for longevity. That's my, my new addiction is cold plunges in the morning. I do about six to eight minutes at, at 35 degrees, which is awesome. Oh. You should try it. But I, I, oh. I strongly recommend it, right? I can do um, one minute. Except- I've done them from like one. Six to eight sounds insane. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I screwed up this morning, though. I had a radio interview, and I, I thought it was like 30 minutes later, and I got into the cold plunge. I got out. I'm still shivering, and I had to go on the radio. And I'm like shivering after the thing of the radio. So that was tough. But other than that, it's been amazing. And it also helps you lose weight because it burn, you have to burn calories to get your body temperature back up. But most important for me is anti-inflammatory and a mood enhancer. It's like a legal yes. high. It's like this high that lasts all day long, and it, it's it's free. There's no downside to it. So, I mean, thankfully, listen, I, I think that, you know, there's probably many people, no one in this country has a family that has not somehow been touched by addiction and the opioid crisis. I don't care what family is. Someone in your family, extended or otherwise, has been touched by this, and there really is a cure, so a cure for this in the form of ibogaine, which is incredibly effective, resets your brain. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a big fan, big fan. Oh, okay. So that this not is recreationally what inspires though. <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> this is what inspires Jordan in the morning. He does his cold plunge, and he's he's on the opposite end of the suboxone and the opioid addiction. Um, exactly. And now he wants to help you make a lot of money, a lot of money, the wolf of investing. So just as a reminder, Wolf of Wall Street, um, that's Jordan. It, there was a whole movie starring Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio who played Jordan. Margot Robbie played his wife. I mean, it's just like you couldn't ask for better casting of one's life. And um, now, and you know, there were some things that weren't necessarily legal, as we pointed out, but you served your time. And now you're trying to help people understand how to make money legally. And I have to say, it's a very timely offering because we started the show with this New York Times Siena poll showing how awful people feel about the economy. I mean, they feel yeah. awful about it. Virtually no one approves of where we are. And more than two thirds of the country say we are going in the wrong direction economically mm. and otherwise. And so to feel like someone could empower themselves in this terrible economy by something like this book is is a is a hopeful thought. You know, everybody would want to do it. So could somebody like I, somebody like me, take this book and actually make smart investments? Absolutely. The whole point of writing this book is in the past, I've, you know, I've coached entrepreneurs, I've taught entrepreneurship, sales, marketing. One thing I never really spoke about, which is something that I knew probably as good as anyone out there in the world was how to make money on Wall Street. Right. So, you know, finally, after many, many years and seeing where the economy was going, it actually experiencing it in my own family. My brother-in-law was getting whipsawed, destroyed. He's a very successful guy, very smart. And I watched someone who's very smart, very educated, very sharp, getting obliterated by doing all the wrong things with his investment portfolio. So I coached him through, you know, you know, how to change his portfolio and redo it in a way that would set him up for long-term success. And that's really was the, was, was the inspiration for writing this book. It took me about 18 months to write it. And not because I didn't know what the strategies were going to be. I knew from the start what I was going to be talking about. But I knew that if I didn't write it in a really kind of laugh out loud, funny, irreverent way, like people wouldn't really enjoy it or read it as much because, you know, the information for investing is out there, but it's very dry, very boring, very technical. So people don't embrace it. So I, you, I wrote this book in a way that's a very funny, ironic voice, but it gives you like literally the keys to the kingdom for building a world-class portfolio that will allow you to retire extremely wealthy, whether you're wealthy now or not. And that's the beauty of this. You don't need a lot of money and especially in an economy, as you said, you're 100 percent right. And you, you know, there's a lot of problems systemically in the U.S. economy. There's even more problems politically, which we I know we agree on that. Right. And, what's, you know, when you see what's going on on college campuses, it makes you stand for the whole world. But the fact is, is that the one solution that you can have for yourself, for your family is make a lot of money and, and invest it wisely. So you're set up for the future because you can't count 
on the government. You can't count on a booming economy when you're retired. So you need to take matters into your own hands. And, and the way you do it is not by hiring a stockbroker, putting your money in a mutual fund or, or, or like a managed mutual fund or trying to find the next you know, pipe from a hedge fund or penny stock or crypto coin is a very simple proven way that anybody, anybody can secure their future through proper investing. And that's really what I lay out in the book. It's a turnkey solution for anybody, even if you don't have a lot of money. Well, especially because I know we don't like to talk about this as a country. The Republicans want to ignore it. Democrats want to ignore it. But you're probably not going to get your Social Security. If you're 40 or younger, there's probably not going to be Social Security for you. We like to lie and say, oh, no, it's like, you know, it's, we're only going to mess with it for like people who are in their 20s. Bullshit. The whole program is going under. They're, they're really out of money. Social Security and Medicare. Medicaid's also in trouble. So they just keep ignoring all of this. I mean, even the trustees who run the program say at minimum in 10 years, you're going to get 20 percent less. And so, so yeah, it might, it you might can't be rely around, on those. It, yeah, exactly. It you might can't be rely around on those to we, fund your retirement. Yeah. Well, it might be around when we're old. I think it will be, but it'll be enough to pay for your diapers when you're in a nursing home. That's about it. If you think you're going to rely on that to pay your rent and your expenses, I mean, think again, right? So you're 100% right. And, and that problem is only getting worse. The, the political divide is so intense right now that nothing good is getting accomplished in, in, in Congress. And forget the executive branch where there's a hologram there right now. But still, you know, even, even when there was a public in there, there's systemic problems. You need to secure your own future. And you know what happens, Megan? It's sad, but who gets squeezed the most? It's the middle class and the lower class. The rich are going to always make money and be very rich. And that, that, that's a, that's, you know, that top 5%, they're going to be okay. It's everyone else that gets screwed. So, and, and I think the trap that people fall into when they invest, and this is the essence of the book, is that when you look at how much money you have to invest or, how, you know, what do you have in your savings account or stock account? You say, well, you know, I don't have that much. I have maybe a five or ten or twenty thousand dollars, whatever it might be. That's not enough to build, you know, massive wealth. Because I have to hit a home run. I have to find the next Apple computer. I have to find the next Bitcoin or some, you know, penny stock. You start to think you need massive returns to get ahead, and that's the opposite of the truth. You don't. By investing in actually the best stocks in a certain way, and in, and relying on long-term compounding which is, you know, every single year you're compounding the profits from the previous, you could take a very small amount of money and turn it into millions of dollars over time. So the, but how the, do you the figure out, show- I know you say, you say in the book, you've got to figure out, you've got to sort of see the good news coming on a stock before everybody else sees it, because otherwise, you know, then, you know, you, you lose the advantage of the stock raise mm. after you bought it a lower number. But that seems easier said than done. Like if we could figure that out, we'd all be, you know, making money on Wall Street. People, how are you supposed to do it? Like, the best scheme it's, it's I not, ever saw was in trading places said, where they did yeah, it illegally. Yeah. But it's not, it's not easier said than do it done. Legally. Yeah, it's not easier said than done. It's almost impossible. You can't do it. And, and what I say in the book is that, you know, if you want to speculate, that's fine. So take a small portion of your money, let's say 5% of the money that you have, and speculate. Try to time the market, pick individual stocks, you know, invest before the news comes out and try to be on the right side of that news so you make a lot of money really quickly, right? That's a fool's game. That's not how you make money in the stock market. That, and that's been historically proven by every academic study going back to the early 1900s. And this is not just for average investors, the top investors, the top 
hedge fund managers, the top mutual fund managers, analysts, they can't pick a stock any better than the average person. And I'm, I'm not even kidding with this. Every study has proven this. And especially after you include all the fees and performance bonuses and ticket charges and expenses and everything else that they hit you for. And by the way, in the hedge fund world, it's like, if you they win, they take 20%. If they lose, you pay all the losses. So it's heads they win, tails you lose, right? So it's a total con job. And, and, and the thing is, you don't need to do that. There's a far better way than go, to invest. And it's not about timing the market. It's not about trying to beat the news cycle. You, you're going to lose more often than not that way, all right? Look at it this way, right? So when you go into a casino, right, typically the odds are against you, what, by 5%, maybe 7%, depending on the game. Right. So when you go in there, you can expect that over time, most people are going to lose. But then if you walk into a corrupt casino where they have loaded dice or dealing from the bottom of the deck, you're going to lose 50 percent, 80 percent of the time. Right. You're almost always going to lose it's a, a huge edge right to the house. Well, that's Wall Street. You're, you're dealing against the cor corruption there where they have faster computers than you access to news before you have it, right? They're doing things that are, are, are illegal on a daily basis. We all know that's happening. We all know it's happening at the biggest firms down to the smallest ones. So if you want to play in that corrupt casino, you're going to get slaughtered. So like the old movie War Games, remember War Games with Matthew Broderick? Of course. The only way to win is not to play. You can't play that game. But on the flip side, Wall Street does create massive value for the U.S. and for that matter, the global economy. So Wall Street's a necessary part of the economy for its functioning. They take companies public. They see which ones are worthy of further financing. They secure the credit markets, the debt markets. We need Wall Street. So they have served this mission critical function on one side, which is the good side. And then the other side, they create bubbles and rip your eyeballs out with extra fees, commissions, and so <laughs> forth. So the question really is, how do you extract, as an as a average person here in America or elsewhere, how do you extract your share, your fair share of the value that Wall Street creates without getting caught up in the corrupt casino and, the, and losing it all. That's the strategy that I offer in the book. And by the way, it's the exact strategy that Warren Buffett would give you and any really legitimate top investor would tell you, this is the way you do it. And I'll tell you, the short story is it starts with having the biggest position in the no commission, ultra low expense, S&P 500 index fund. That's where it starts. So that's one big position you're going to want to have and your main position. And then you're going to want to have that in certain types of accounts, tax-free accounts when possible. There's a number of those, but also just your general account. And then you want to be adding to that position just a little bit each month, whether it's $50, $100, hopefully a lot more. But whatever you can add to that slowly over time without worrying, saying, oh, I don't know. I think the economy is going to do bad next year. So I'm going to get out of stocks and sit in cash or go into oil. Like if you listen to like Jim Cramer on CNBC, I mean, this guy's like, you know, he's like a toxic Avenger, this guy. I mean, he's telling you to, to, to trade this for that and try to time the market. You don't win like that. No one wins that he's way. He's always wrong. Uh, I mean, it's like a joke, but it's like, you know, and his knowledge base is, is vast. But you know, he's giving the worst advice in the world as, as almost everyone else on CNBC. So that's a real trap. You watch it and you're like, oh, maybe I should be selling my stocks today or, or selling this sector right now because the economy seems to be slowing down. That's nonsense. That's not how you make money in the stock market. You need to buy and hold for like 20, 30 years. Seriously, they might seem like a long time, but it's actually not. You just because you, you don't buy individual stocks, you buy the whole index, the S&P 500. Why do you do that? I'll tell you why. Number one, it's the 500 biggest, baddest, most profitable companies in the United States. In addition, about 40% of their business comes from overseas. So you get overseas exposure as well. Number two, all right? They are not the same companies 
they were five years ago. Every three months, the S&P meets the index committee and they replace the companies that are not doing as well, becoming less relevant. They also reweight the index to reflect the U.S. economy. So at any given moment, the S&P 500 represents the best companies, the most relevant companies and the weighting of the U.S. economy. So you're buying the U.S. economy. Now, you might say, well, isn't the economy in the shitter? Like, or isn't it going to go bad? Isn't there all these systemic problems? The answer is yes, but it's like the best bad option out there. In other words, the money's got to go somewhere, right? And what happens is, you know, I don't care how bad the world is doing. I think Apple is going to have a bright future, as is Google. Like, you know, these big companies are massive. They're multinationals. They're very well run. And when they fall from grace, which they do from time to time, they get replaced. So the S&P 500 is this ultra tax efficient, you have to keep buying and selling it, it's this tax efficient way of having exposure to the very best that American ingenuity, uh, that the American capitalist system has to offer. And I don't care what you say, there's no better system out there for creating wealth than the capitalist system that we have here. I've been all over the world. Okay, what you say, you know, when I was younger in the 80s, it was Japan's taking over the world. Remember that? Japan, they're going to own everything. And then you saw all the systemic problems there. China's not going to take up these problems in China. So at the, at the end of the day, I truly believe that a bet on the U.S. economy is, is the very, very safe bet. And it's been that way for the last hundred years or so. So that's the first thing you want to know is don't trade in and out. Once again, the name of the book is The Wolf of Investing by Jordan Belfort, the wolf himself. Jordan, what um, let me let me ask you how you view the finances and whether they're important of the guys running for president right now and gals, I should say. Um, most of these guys are public servants and haven't made a ton of dough because they've been in government service. Like Ron DeSantis, he went to, um, it was Princeton, or was Harvard undergrad and then Yale Law School, I think it was. And he could have been making a fortune at some law firm, but he's done all public services life, you know, Navy, JAG Corps, and then uh, governor and, and congressman and so on. Nikki Haley's made some money in the private sector, but has mostly been a government service person. Vivek made a bunch of money um, in the pharmaceutical industry, sort of big pharma, taking patents that had been rejected by a bunch of companies in big pharma and trying to get them a second life. Uh, and then you got Doug um, Burgum. He's made a ton of money. Like, do you care? Trump, of course, is repeated, reportedly the, the richest of them all. Do we care whether we have a rich president or not? Well, I mean, I think we see our current president, who was you know, a public servant, completely corrupted by, you know, with, through his son and all this other stuff and taking bribes from all, I mean, I, I mean, hello, I mean, if this was, imagine if this was a Republican office, it would be the front page of the New York Times, like literally nonstop to impeach mm -hmm. this guy, right? It's like, I, I can't even believe like what I'm seeing here in our country with the corruption in the White House right now. And it's like this, what, wait, the other side doesn't think this is relevant to talk about, right? Although I guess people are getting wise to it because like you see the latest polls, right? People are not happy with the person in the White House who's really just yeah. a kind of a, you know, a hologram for someone else who's behind the, the scenes and really running the show. Um, but but I, I think that, listen, I, I wouldn't say that it matters per se because it's based on the person's character. If someone's got the character that they're, they're going to resist the bribery and and resist the the, the uh, you know you know having being under the thumb of lobbyists, right? And I think DeSantis is like that, by the way. Um, and I don't I don't think he's a I think he's a very honest guy. But I think that once they get out of the presidency, they're going to get rich. They'll write their books and do their speaking tours, and yeah. that's okay. And that's nothing wrong with that, by the way. For a public servant, if you become president, you get out, you get rich. All the power to you, right? But they shouldn't be, you know. It, 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 when they're there, you know, engaging in corruption or have gotten corrupt along the way as the old public servants and they're in the White House as it is now. So I don't really care if they're rich or poor. What I do care, though, is about experience. 
And do they have the experience and, 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 the, and the intellect to do the job? It's a very difficult job. And, you know, right now, I, I, I believe that only a handful of the candidates have the experience, you know, or the, the emotional metal to be the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of it. Do you, do you have a favorite right now on the, on the GOP side who you're rooting for? You know, um, I loved I, I loved DeSantis. I did when he was, you know, and, and I was really hoping he'd get the traction I thought he was going to get. Um, there's things I love about Trump, things I hate about Trump, you know. Um, I think Trump is his own worst enemy, but I look at the world the way it was under his presidency. It's like it just seemed like a better, a better world. I mean, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, um, you know, there was no wars per se, a far less conflict in the world. We were energy independent. So what was Biden's first move? Let's just get give up our energy independence. And that set the stage for so much awful shit that poured in after that. It was it's like it's like, let's just Sabbath, let's just shoot ourselves in the foot here and no longer be energy independent. Let's rely on other people and not be exporters. It's insane. It's, it's insane. So that was his first move. And so I have mixed emotions about Trump. You know, if I Trump, if you look at what was going on, it was very, it was very good for the country. It really was. Um, but there's also like this divisiveness. Now, granted, he was, you know, attacked and, and he was framed for things he didn't do. So he's under constant attack. Do I think he's the nicest guy in the world? No, I don't. And I was hoping for a better version of him. But if it's Trump or Biden, I'll take Trump any day of the weekend, twice on Sundays. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> You're not alone, the according to the latest I'll poll. put up with the yeah. tweets. I'll put up with the bad tweets, you know? Well, now he's on Truth Social, so you don't even have to look at them if you don't want to join his social media company. You can just, just you can just ignore. I don't know. The country's in you know some some dire shape. What do you think? Like the people out there who are really worried about the economy, because there are a lot of a lot of them. And Joe Biden just keeps saying Bidenomics, Bidenomics. It's working. Trust me, it's working. How is the economy in your view, and how's it likely to go over the next few years? You're feeling bullish or bearish? I'm feeling bearish on the economy overall. The problem. Is inflation. It's, it's, it's really, a, it's a major problem. And I think it's much higher. I know it's much higher than they're reporting. And, you know, what is that inflation from? Well, it's, you know, when you pay people to not go to work and you just pump money into the economy, what's going to happen? It's, it's like a guarantee that inflation is going to eventually skyrocket, right? So, so we're feeling the pains of all this money that was pumped into the, co- the economy during the pandemic. And, you know, finally it got to the point where they, you know, inflation so they had to do something to bring down rates. But I don't think that's necessarily just the whole thing is rates, is, is, is you know, rates going up. But I don't think that's going to solve it on its own. There's got to be a fundamental shift in America, the way we, we view ourselves as Americans, getting back to work, not trying to be on the dole. And really, you know, and every, every person being part of this sort of re- renaissance for the country, you need a leader that inspires people to go out there and work hard as a country. That's what's missing right now. It's like this, it, it, we talk about a divide, but it, you know, you look at these marches right now, and these people are like, I mean, what the hell? I mean, I, I don't even recognize, Megan, do you recognize the country right now? I don't recognize no, no. it. All it's, those people waving not, Palestinian flags in front of the White House, screaming Allahu Akbar, it's a no. I don't understand it because, you know, like all those like woke people, you know, whether they're gay people, people uh, that, you know, trans, they transsexual, they go, go to Gaza and see what, how tolerant they are in Gaza. They'll, they'll murder you. Yeah. They'll string you up yeah. alive. Or if you're a woman, go there and they'll have you wear a burqa. I mean, or a hijab, whatever. The, the point is like people don't even know what they're protesting for. They're no. about, they're it like, all they're comes training. down to skin color and oppression. Their, their view oppression. of oppression. They don't even understand oppression. 
Uh, listen, there, that, there's, there's, that's yeah. all a big tease for the wolf of investing, because anytime you want to hear what Jordan has to think, it's worth your time. He's entertaining. He's brilliant. And you're going to love the book. The Wolf right. of Investing. Thank you, my friend. Well, on Amazon right now. So check it out. Investing in stocks. So check it out. Right now. Check it out. All the best. See you soon. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Extra, give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com.